right, Acts chapter 26 tonight. Acts chapter 26. It's been a few weeks since we uh, were in the book of Acts. And so, just a little reminder of where we left off. We're kind of in one long story here where uh, several chapters ago, Paul... Uh, starts a riot pretty much by doing nothing. Uh, he gets falsely accused of bringing a Gentile into the congregation and everybody got upset. So he's been on trial, kind of going from one place to another. Everybody keeps passing him along because things are just so sensitive in Israel. The Romans, they don't want to get the Jews upset and the Jews are not going to be happy until Paul is dead. You got, I think it was 40 that put a vow on themselves that they weren't going to eat until Paul was dead. And it's been over two years now. So either those guys died of starvation or they broke their vow. But either way, um, Paul now is, again, he has just stood before Felix. Then he stood before Festus, uh, who was kind of the new governor of that area. And now he's going to be, he's standing before Herod Agrippa, who is basically the king of Israel, kind of a puppet king that was installed there by the Romans. And so Agrippa, uh, he, Festus had told him about Paul's situation and Agrippa wanted to hear what he had to say. But Paul has appealed to Caesar already. Now, one thing I don't understand for sure is, you know, and I've heard different things about this. You know, the Bible doesn't exactly lay this all out. But when you appealed, it sounds like if you appealed to Caesar, you were going to get to go to Caesar. And so... Uh, but either way, he's still standing before Agrippa because he wants to know what's going on. But I don't know for sure if Agrippa could have just made a final decision then since an appeal to Caesar had been made. And we'll see at the end of the chapter where he says, you know, he would have been set at liberty. He could have been had he not appealed to Caesar. And so uh, whether that was a good thing for Paul to do or not, don't really know for sure. But either way, um, this process has lasted over two years um, because Paul just really wanted to go preach to the Jews in Jerusalem. And it hasn't worked out good. But anyway, in verse 1, Paul stands before Agrippa and it says, Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Thou art permitted to speak for thyself. Then Paul stretched forth the hand and answered for himself. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before thee, touching all the things whereof I am accused of the Jews. And you know, I like what Paul said. He said, I think myself happy. And the reason he's saying this here is he wasn't about to give his life's philosophy in four words. Some of you will get that reference. But he was saying that because of the fact that um, you know, innocent people, they're always glad to answer for themselves. When you're being accused, when you are being lied about, you know, you want a, an opportunity to set the record straight, don't you? I, I think everybody wants that. Everybody wants their day in court. And innocent people at least do. When you're innocent, you want nothing more than just for the truth to get out. But the problem is, you know, so there's a difference though between standing before someone who is impartial in their judgment, somebody who's going to give you a fair hearing, and standing before a raving mob and so understand there are sometimes people don't want to answer for themselves because they know they're casting their pearls before swine they know these people aren't going to listen you know and so there are there's people out there you know who you know there's people out there that have you know accused me of crazy things before 
But it, and it's like, as much as I would like to set the record straight on some of this stuff, when it comes to the people I would be trying to straighten out, they're not impartial. They're dishonest. And therefore, it's kind of pointless. You know, I don't feel the need to go stand before the homo crowd. I'm not looking for an opportunity to stand before the homo crowd and to set the record straight on anything. You know, and you know some of the things they they say about me. And it's like they're demanding to know the truth about different things. It's like, you people aren't partial, impartial. You people are raving lunatics. And nothing I say will make you happy unless I repent of all my beliefs and declare you all to be normal human beings. And that's not going to happen. So, you know, I'm not looking for an opportunity to set the record straight with them. Because the truth is, too, when it comes to things that that crowd has accused me of, when it comes to things that different, even religious crowds have accused me of, I know their audience is not impartial, that they're dishonest. And so standing, you know, setting the record straight with them, it's not a priority with me. But when you have that person who comes along and you know they're looking for the truth, let's talk. You know, let's have a conversation. I'm ready to talk. I'm ready to give my side of things. And so uh, Paul he feels that he's standing before someone who's going to listen to him. He feels like he's standing before someone who's going to be impartial in their judgment. And so that's why he's happy to do this. I'm ready ready to talk. I'm not ashamed of anything. I know I'm in the right. And so so if somebody's out there, for example, in the political world, too, we see it all the time, where you'll just have people making baseless accusations against somebody and they're demanding they answer. And a lot of times the person doesn't want to answer. That doesn't necessarily mean they're guilty because a lot of times they understand I can't convince these people of anything. Proof doesn't matter to these people. But when you are in a situation where you know you're going to get a fair shot, you're ready to go. And all our courts should be this way. All of our courts, and unfortunately our court system is a mess, but you know, if, if we have a good, just court system, innocent people, they're going to be ready to give their side. Of things, it's when they're biased. That's when it's no fun. So uh, you could pre- you almost preach a sermon on that subject because it's an important thing. But verse three says, especially because I know thee to be expert in all customs and questions which are among the Jews. Wherefore I beseech thee to hear me patiently. So Paul is specifically he's glad he was speaking to someone who is capable of understanding the situation. Because the conflict that was going on between Paul and the Jews was a religious conflict. This was not a civil matter. This was not something that should have been brought before a civil court. In the religious world, we are going to have disputes. We're going to have disagreements. We're even going to have enemy, enemies that are out there. Okay? We're, you know what? The Calvinists, they're our enemies, aren't they? We don't like the Calvinists. But... Because we don't like the Calvinists and what they teach, should we go falsely accusing them to the civil courts and trying to get them thrown in jail? No, that's not how we deal with those things. That's, that's not right. And the truth is, if, we, if, if our judges were smart, if they had any wisdom, and then they, and we did. You know, I went and I sued a Calvinist pastor in town or a Pentecostal pastor in town because I'm just mad at him for what he teaches. Maybe he won over some people in our church. And I'm mad about that. So I'm going to go sue him. 
hopefully if a judge has any wisdom there, he's like, you know what? You two have a re- religious dispute going on. You know what? You guys go deal with that in your church and they would run me from the judgment seat and maybe even get me in trouble. And we saw an example where that happened uh, earlier in the book of Acts when there was a leader who thought this isn't a civil matter. And they went and they beat up the guy who was bringing that accusation. And so uh, Paul, though he understood, this guy is capable of understanding the situation. Because the Romans, they were clueless when it came to religious things. All they could see is these people are fighting. But what are they fighting over? You know, and have you ever seen it too, where a lot of people who are not Christian, they'll look at the way other Christians fight with each other. You know, because to them it's all the same. I mean, you know, to lost people, what's the difference between Catholic and Baptist? You know, you're all Christians. Why can't you get along? Well, we understand why we can't get along. Okay, we get that. But the world doesn't get it because they're not familiar with our doctrine. They're not familiar with Bible doctrine. They're not familiar with Catholic doctrine. So, you don't want those people judging that situation. But Agrippa is someone who understood. And so the fact that Agrippa had at least somewhat of an understanding of Judaism and the law, it would help him understand this was a religious dispute, nothing that should have been brought before the government. This was an ecclesiastical matter, not a civil matter. And so in verse 4, he says, My manner of life from my youth, which was at the first among mine own nation at Jerusalem, known know all the Jews, which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify that after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived the Pharisee. And now I stand and am judge for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers, unto which promise our twelve tribes, instantly serving God day and night, hope to come. For which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews. So when Paul was in Judaism, he practiced it to the best of his ability. And the fact that Paul had... And, and, and you know the fact is, Paul hadn't really changed in a lot of ways, but the times had changed, meaning the new covenant that was promised you know, to the fathers had come. Now, Paul was late getting to the party. You all understand that? When Paul, before the cross, Paul was practicing religion the way he was supposed to. Unfortunately, he didn't recognize the Messiah when he was supposed to. He didn't recognize the Messiah at the preaching of Stephen. And so Paul had a period of time where he unknowingly, unknowingly, and that's an important thing too, was doing a lot of really bad stuff. But once he uh, saw the truth, and he's about to give that testimony when he did, Paul changed. But the truth is, or you know, I guess you, you should say, Paul got in with the change. Because the times had changed with the bringing in of the new covenant. So verse 9 says, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things uh, contrary. Or I'm sorry, I I skipped a verse there. Uh, Look at verse 8. So it says, he said, Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? Because this was one of the things that got Paul in trouble. He brings up, I got in trouble with the Pharisees or with the Sadducees because I brought up the resurrection. And he said, and he's talking to Herod who, and understand too, you know, the Herods, uh, while they consider themselves Jews, you know, historically, but according to history, it was doubtful whether or not they were actual Jews. Either way, if they were Jews, they were major compromisers. Again, just puppets of Rome and the Jews did not like them. But being 
over that area, they were going to know some of these things. And so if Agrippa is familiar with the scriptures at all, he shouldn't be shocked by somebody being raised from the dead because the Old Testament had people raised from the dead. This shouldn't be an incredible thing. It shouldn't be, he should understand God can raise people from the dead. And so and nothing Paul had taught or did should have come as a surprise to the Jews. The Jews were the ones that were in total violation of the scripture for not joining Paul and judgment was on its way. I mean, judgment is less than 10 years away for Jerusalem and for Israel as a result of them rejecting the Messiah. And so Paul, you know, he, he's the one that's in the right. The Jews are the one who have apostatized. The Jews are the one who have gone against the law. And so in verse 9, it says, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints that I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. And so Paul is showing that, you know, the sincerity he had in that religion before he saw the truth. Paul was, again, he was wrong, but he was doing things to the best of his ability to the point, I mean, he's ruining people's lives. So verse 12 says, Whereupon as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them, which are sanctified by faith that is in me. And so Paul's mission was to get Gentiles, notice, to be a part of the inheritance with those who were sanctified by faith. Okay? Notice, notice that statement. That's a good one to underline in your Bible. Verse 18 says, They may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. He said, I want the Gentiles to have an inheritance among them that are sanctified by faith. A couple things about that. First off, this shows that the Gentiles were going to get an inheritance with or among the Jewish saints. That's a very important thing to get a hold of and to understand because, again, there's people out there that are trying to separate these things. They're trying to separate our inheritance from the one that God promised to the Jews. No, it was Paul's job to go preach this to the Gentiles so they could have an inheritance among the Jews. And notice it was the Jewish saints and that these Jewish saints were people who were sanctified by faith. Okay, and, and I get it. We all understand these things. But this is a good verse to underline to just show people. And uh, when I was putting this together, I remember the message, a uh, good one to refer back to is jo the message I preached on Joshua 19, 
Uh, I got a lot of good feedback from that one where I talked about the inheritance of the saints. And if you study that in the Bible, if you study the inheritance of the saints in the Bible, folks, it is literally impossible to separate the inheritance that God promised to Abraham, that God promised to Israel, that God promised to the Jews. It is impossible to separate it from the inheritance that we have. It's the same inheritance. Without a doubt, Jesus Christ inherits all things. And we are joint heirs with Christ. And since I preached that message, I've put that question out there several times to people. It's like, what inheritance did Jews have coming that I don't have as a joint heir with Jesus Christ who has inherited all things? Nobody's even tried to give me an answer on that. It's just silence. Whenever I bring that out, and folks, that is a good question we've got to keep throwing in their face. Because if they start studying the inheritance, they're either going to have to rebel against what they clearly read in the Scriptures, or they're going to have to come over to our side. And so, um, uh, we need to keep bringing that up. But that, that, this, that's one area where we haven't backed into a corner. And they'll try to change the subject quick. But verse 19 says, Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. But showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coast of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. And notice how repenting and turning to God was separate from the works meet for repentance. Now, I'm pretty sure everybody in here understands what works meet for repentance means. But I want us to look at a couple other verses just in case you don't. So first off, meet means deserving or suitable. Okay? And so, uh, when a person has repented, when a person has come to Christ, they are commanded to do works that are fitting for someone who is of faith. God does, didn't save you just to give you an excuse to continue living just as wicked as you were before and still go to heaven. He saved you so you could go to heaven in spite of the fact that, you know, you're still not going to be perfect. You're still not going to live up to godly standards, but he want, he's enabled us to do good works. He wants you to do good works. And when you don't do them, you know what? You're going to get on the chastening side of God and he's going to deal with you. And so there's an expectation that God has from us because we are his children. I have certain expectations from my kids because they are my children. I don't expect them to be perfect. In fact, because they're my children, there's some things I expect them to probably have struggles with. But either way, I still, I, I still want to see an effort. I still expect them to be successful. I expect them to stay out of jail. I expect them to stay out of the bars. I, there are, there's a certain things I expect from them. And God expects some things from us when we're saved. But works meet for repentance... And some other verses where it uses that word in Genesis 2.18, the first time we see that word in the Bible, it says the Lord said, God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him, uh, make him and help meet for him. What does that mean? Suitable for him. And you know what? Eve was a very good addition to Adam. He was still Adam, but you know, it was better when he had Eve because she was a help to him. She was a blessing to him and he was very happy to have her. And you know what? We can be saved without good works, but let me tell you, good works make everything better. Good works are going to make you a better Christian. They're going to make you happier. You're going to, they're going to please God more. You're better with the works. You still have salvation without the works, 
but you're better with the works. It's, and it is. They are meat for those of us who are saved. Titus 3, 4 says, but after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is the faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. So, you're saved is flat out said, not by works of righteousness. But then he went on to say, those who are saved constantly maintain these people, you know, constantly affirm these people that they maintain good works. Why? Because they're good and profitable for men. They're good for other people. And so when you have a saved person and you have coupled with good works, you know what? You've got somebody that's going to be profitable. You've got somebody that's going to be a blessing. You've got somebody that's going to be a help. But, so that's what works meet for repentance are. Just things fitting, suitable for someone who is saved. But what, if, what would be an example of works not meet for repentance? Well, I think a good example of that is in James 2. In James 2, 1, we're not going to go through the whole chapter, but the first verse says, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. Now, is this saying a saved person can't have respect of persons? Well, of course a saved person can have respect of persons, but they shouldn't. That's a really bad trait for a saved person. Somebody who is saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, somebody who received the free gift of salvation, somebody who became a part of the inheritance, even though they had all these issues, for them to be partial with other people is kind of a shame. It really is a shame. And it's a bad example. And you know what? You're not going to be a help to other people. You're not going to be justified towards man if you as a saved person are talking about your faith and you don't have any good works. You won't be of much use. So, that's, a, that's just one example. And there's many more that we can go to. There's a lot of works that are not meat for repentance. So, uh, very important we understand uh, the difference between that. So, people do need to Repent and turn to God and get saved. That's what happens when you repent and turn to God. But then, after that, you should do works meet for repentance. And Paul said, this is, just, this is all we're teaching people. We're teaching people to repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. What, should be, what can be the crime in that? What danger is there in that? Because again, Paul is standing before a civil court for a religious matter. And he's just telling these people, you know what? We're just trying to get people to turn to God, which is actually according to the Scriptures, unlike them, but we're trying to get them to do good works too. That should make your job easier, Romans. And the truth is, our society would be so much better if our messages got out there and everybody listened to us. Now, evil people aren't going to like it. False prophets aren't going to like it. Those who are trying, you know, making money off people's wickedness aren't going to like it. You know, we start getting people to turn from certain sins. You know what? The bar owners aren't going to like it. You know, all these, you know, low life uh, gaming places that we have all over town, they're not going to like it if we get people doing works meet for repentance. You know, the drug drug dealers aren't going to like it. So there's always there's always persecution when that comes from the evil people that are profiting off other people's wickedness. 
But at the, at the end of the day, you'd think the police would love us because, you know, hopefully they're not going to be dealing with as many domestic issues, drunk driving issues, if we can get the town to turn to Christ and do works meet for repentance. But for, so verse 21 says, for these causes, because of what I preached, for these causes, the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. And these causes, meaning what Paul taught and only that. Paul said, this is why I'm standing before you, King Agrippa, because of what I preached. That's why I'm here. And that right there, that's a, that's a strong defense that Paul's making. There is no civil law that has been violated. It's only what I'm preaching. And you know what? Again, we have no religion has any business, to, even us, we have no business taking false prophets to court for their false prophesying that they're doing. That's not right. You know, remember a couple of years ago when everybody was like, you know, you had Christians celebrating, you know, the persecution of guys like John MacArthur. You know, that, you know, well, he's a false prophet. Okay, I agree. And I'm always ready to do battle with guys like John MacArthur. But not in civil court. You know, that, that, you know we don't sick the Romans on these people. That's what the Jews do. The Jews would do that, try to get their way. They would sick the Romans on people. And we should never do that. It would be wrong. It would be wicked for you to just go suing some guy because he was a false prophet. That's not how we do these things. You know how we expose the false prophets? You know how we destroy the false prophets? With truth. That's how we do it. And understand, at the end of the day, the, you know, Satan's the father of lies. The lies are always going to be around. And you know what? You take down a John MacArthur, somebody else is going to step up with the same lie. Somebody else, you know, so all all's we can do, we are in a battle for the hearts and minds of people. And we fight that battle by proclaiming truth. We And we do. By all means, let's call out the false prophets. Let's name them but we don't use carnal weapons. We don't use guns, okay? Don't go shooting false prophets, ladies and gentlemen. All right? that, that's not right. I don't believe God will be pleased with you. They're sending all these people to hell. That is not how God ordained that we deal with these people. That's not, that's not right. Well, in the Old Testament, I, hey, they were allowed to in the Old Testament. They had, they had God gave them a physical nation. God gave them a physical nation and God gave them a law for that land and therefore they had the authority to put down false prophets. Under the New Covenant, the Bible says we have no continuing city. We seek one to come. We are not trying to take over land. God has not given us a land. We don't have one, ladies and gentlemen. We don't have a land and it is not up to us as Christians to deal with people in that way. Now, one of these days, when Jesus comes back, the meek are going to inherit the earth. One of these days, the land will be ours. And then you know what? We can go back to some of those laws. But until you get a, until you get a land, you know, don't do that. And we, we should never put people to death in the name of Christianity. That is not how it works. These holy wars that have gone on throughout the centuries, they were not right. They were not biblical. And you know what? Baptists have never been a part of that. Baptists have never been a part of that. In fact, uh, I looked it up one time. The only example I could find of Baptists like physically per persecuting somebody 
was I do is I came across one example. I don't even know how true it is. I think in the 1800s of some Baptists going pretty hard after some Mormons, and it got bloody. And that if if that story's true, that wasn't right. That that's not how you deal with those things. But that's probably a Mormon story. But who, who knows? I I don't remember all the details of it. But it's not right. And Baptists shouldn't do that. We've always recognized the separation of church and state. So we're not going to encourage our government when they get involved in ecclesiastical matters. We're not. We'll, I'll never support that. I'll never stand. I'll never stand for that kind of thing. It's wrong. So, verse twenty-two says, "Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both to the small and great." saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come. Now folks, we're pretty far into Paul's ministry now. And people like to talk about how Paul, you know, he received, because he uses the word dispensation a lot. He teaches this new dispensation, the Pauline epistles. They're special for the New Testament church. They don't go along with the rest of the Bible. That's for Jews. You all have heard that baloney before. But Paul said, I'm not teaching anything except for what the prophets of Moses said. That's what the Apostle Paul said. He didn't know, you know, Clarence Larkin hadn't wrote dispensational truth yet. And notice too, Paul said, I'm only preaching what Moses and the prophets said. This is another good verse to underline. And then he said specifically, that, and he said, I'm, I'm preaching things that they said should come. And what, so what did Moses and the prophets say should come? That Christ should suffer and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. Looks like death, burial, and resurrection was in Moses and the prophets, doesn't it? But yet you still have your Ruckmanites out there saying that Paul preached a different gospel, death, burial, and resurrection is not in the Old Testament. Paul said it was. Paul said, I am only preaching what was in Moses and the prophets. And folks, all you have to do is just go to the book of Romans and amongst many other of his epistles and look at how many times he's quoting Old Testament. He's proving his teaching with the Old Testament. That was how Paul worked. And so this passage alone, it destroys a lot of the false teachings that come from dispensational theology. And so Paul did not claim to be teaching something new. He did not claim to be teaching something different from the Old Testament. Paul also, when explaining what was in the Old Testament, you know, is that it was specifically the death, burial, and resurrection. And Paul also claimed salvation coming to the Gentiles was in the Old Testament. That's what he claimed in this passage. Now, understand. So, well, Paul did receive a dispensation. He said he received the dispensation of the gospel. And, and if, if you understand how that word works, that's not confusing at all because the dispensation that he received and gave was only a clearer understanding of what was stated in the Old Testament. What Paul preached was in the Old Testament, but it was hidden. It was a dark saying. And then Paul, through his writings and through his words, shed more light on that and gave clarity to it that wasn't there before. And so, while people did not understand it just from reading the Old Testament, when Paul gave his dispensation, all of a sudden now, 
Everybody looked back and said, I know exactly what that's talking about. And so that's, that's what a dispensation is. And so there are some things in the Old Testament that while they say the same thing that's in the New, you can't understand those things from the Old Testament without the dispensation that the New Testament gives. For example, I, I used this before when we were in Acts 8, I think it is, the Ethiopian eunuch. He is reading about the death, burial, and resurrection in the book of Isaiah. But he was not capable of understanding it with Isaiah 53 alone. He needed Philip to come and give him another dispensation. And what did Philip do? He went and he preached to him Jesus. And then the Ethiopian eunuch understood that passage. And then he, sure enough, got saved. Okay? Now, some people will take that passage and teach that you know you can't get saved just from reading your Bible because we'll have with the Ethiopian eunuch. No, because understand, if you're reading in the New Testament, that has the extra dispensation in there. The New Testament gives that clarity to things in the Old Testament that wasn't there before. So the truth is, you know, you can you know read these things, you can learn from them, you know, and a person uh, you know I believe can get saved because again, we have to have a soul winner. Well. The Apostle Paul was a soul winner. And these are his words. This is his testimony. And just because he's not standing in front of you audibly speaking them to you does not mean that you know, he can't preach to you. Okay? Words preach. Okay? Words preach without a doubt. And I've talked about that before. Getting somebody saved is not about having like this incantation where you have to have all the elements present for the magic spell to work. To get you saved, that, that's 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 ridiculous. No, the Word of God has the ability to do that. Again, I'm not going to be lazy and just go give people Bibles and say, "Here, take all this and figure it out." You know, I, I, I'm going I'm going to help them. I'm going to guide them, and um, I'm, you know, I, I believe that's very important. But don't go throwing somebody in hell because they said they read their Bible and figured out salvation was by grace through faith and you know got saved. So. Again, a lot, go, a lot more goes into somebody getting saved than we realize often. So verse 24 says, uh, And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. And Festus can't debunk what Paul said, so he just throws out an insult. And I think what happened is Festus probably just didn't know what he was talking about. Because Festus probably wasn't expert in things of the law, didn't understand Jewish matters, and so he just got intimidated and just, uh, you know, throws out an insult. But then verse 25, but he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knoweth of these things. Okay? Festus, you don't know what I'm talking about. You don't know anything about the law. You're just a heathen Gentile. You know, and he didn't say it that way. But, you know, that's probably what he's thinking in his mind. But he looks at Agrippa and he's like, Agrippa, I know you know what I'm talking about. I know you're familiar with the Scriptures. I know you've seen this before. And, he, and so he said, For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him, for this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. So Paul, he could tell, I think he could tell Agrippa understood what he was saying. You know, he, but... He didn't know for sure if he was ready to accept it. And have you ever been there before where you're talking to somebody, maybe you're trying to persuade somebody to get saved, and it's like you can see the wheels turning in their head. 
You can see that they're getting it. But it's like, are they willing to accept it? I've seen this several times too, just when it comes to, you know, eschatology and stuff. When you're having conversations with people who are, especially pastors who are stubborn and it's political and all these things, and you can, I, I, I can just watch it. I, I can just see it. And as you start making certain points, it's like, listen, I know you believe the Bible. And I do. These people are Bible believers. You know, I think these people, a lot of them, they honestly want to know the truth and they're familiar with the scriptures. You know what 2 Thessalonians 2 says. You know, you know, you know what uh, Matthew 24 says. You know, you know what it says in Revelation chapter 7. I, I know you know the scriptures. I know you believe every word of this Bible. I know you believe this King James Bible is accurate. Do you, do you accept this? And you can just, you can see it in their face. Now, now, sometimes I've looked, I, I've talked to some people before. I've talked to some pastors before, and you start talking about these things. It's like they act like they've never read these scriptures in their life, and it's like, dude, this dude is clueless. I've been amazed at how clueless and how biblically illiterate some pastors are. But there's other guys. They're smart. I know. I, I know they know the Bible. I've, I've heard them. I've heard them preach enough. They can quote scripture. Some of these people can quote more scripture than I can. And you do. You tell them and you see the wheels turning. And that's what's going on with Agrippa. Agrippa is familiar enough with the scriptures that he knows that Paul's telling the truth. He knows that Paul is probably right. That while the Jews are saying they follow the law, what Paul is doing, what Paul is saying, actually lines up with the law, while what they're saying doesn't line up with the law. But the problem is, if Agrippa believes, accepts what Paul says, not only is he in trouble with the Jews, who are things are already tense with them, but he's in trouble with Rome as well. So imagine the position Agrippa is in. And one thing we see with all the Herods, they were all cowards. And you know what? Agrippa, he was no exception. And so it says in verse 28, and folks, this is, this is really a sad verse, especially considering this guy was a king and had a lot of influence. And again, I do. I think he would have. I think he would have got killed so stinking fast it wouldn't have been funny during that time if he'd have gotten saved. But guess what? He'd still be in heaven, and you know what? He's still in hell instead. He got a few more years on this earth, but he still ended up in hell. And so it says, "Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian." Now. Again, the Bible doesn't tell us why Agrippa rejected Paul. But while we can speculate all we want, the fact of the matter is, any reason has the same result. And, you know, and so, uh, sadly, Agrippa, chances are, probably never did believe. Probably, probably went to hell. And it says, Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. And when he had thus spoken, the king rose up and the governor and Bernice, and they sat with them. And when they were gone aside, they talked between themselves, saying, This man doeth nothing worthy of death or of bonds. Then Agrippa said unto Festus, This man might have been set at liberty if he had not appealed unto Caesar. And so again, I don't know if they now have to send him to Caesar because he had appealed to Caesar. Or I don't know if they could have, he could have made a decision right then. It seems to me that 
if he has determined that Paul is innocent, he should have just let him go. And then Paul doesn't even need to go to Caesar. You don't have to, buy, you don't have to bother Caesar with it. But it's very possible, too, he might have just wimped out and said, you know what, let's, just, since he, you know, let's let it go to Caesar. That way, uh, you know, we can have more time before we get all these Jews mad. Because they would have. They would have been very upset. You know, just because, and imagine, too, we know what this is like. Because, I mean, think about when, uh, you know, take like the George Floyd case. Okay? Now, that cop looked pretty guilty on that video that had the knee in the neck and everything. Okay? But what, listen, there was no doubt if there was anything but a guilty verdict, that town was going to get torn apart. And a lot of times, that's, you know, that's how it is in cases. You always got to hope that the judge and that the jury love truth. You know, and aren't aren't scared of what might happen. But we've seen it in this country when things don't go the way that the mob wants, things get out of control. And that's kind of how that was the situation they had then. They're looking like, listen, Paul is not guilty, but we don't want to deal with these Jews going all crazy on us. And so sadly, nothing got settled. And so in the next chapter, we're going to see Paul, uh, you know, in a major storm and get shipwrecked while on his way to Rome to stand before Caesar. I mean, Paul just went through one thing after another because of this false accusation. But uh, one thing I want to close with on this, because this is an important thing to understand. And sadly, I don't think most people will ever know on this earth how important it was for them to listen when the Holy Spirit was speaking to them. Because, you know, you look at the story too, and it's real easy to just look at that. It's like, yeah, you know, I like to think a group of might have got saved eventually. You know, I, I like to think that, right? But here's the, here's the thing about that. It, it's never a guarantee that you're going to get another opportunity to be saved. That's never a guarantee. It's, and it's the most foolish, it's the most dangerous thing in the world that someone can do to put off salvation. Because every time you put it off, again, sometimes people just, it takes them a while to get it. Okay? Those people aren't getting in trouble with God. Sometimes... It takes a while for the Holy Spirit to get through to somebody, for them to process everything in their mind. But understand, once a person gets it and they reject it, they, you know what they're doing? They're hardening their heart. And a hard heart is one of the most dangerous things that you could possibly have. You do not want to ever harden your heart to anything. It's one of the most difficult things to recover from. And it can get to the point where you will never recover and we see in the bible hardening the heart has devastating consequences we see in proverbs 29 1 says he that being often reproved and hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy right there's an example of the reprobate doctrine in the old testament a person can be destroyed one that has no remedy people do things all the time that there's just no fixing and Thing, and here's the thing about that too. Typically the things that can't be fixed are things that you did, that you did in rebellion. Not things that you did in ignorance. Okay? I'm, everybody in here probably has all kinds of things that you, know, you did in the past that you're ashamed of, things that you did in ignorance. And you know, uh, and God's forgiven you of those things and, and, and you've done fine. But you know, there's some of us in here, if we were to go and do those exact same things the consequences would be way more devastating because of the fact we knew, because of the fact we have been 
reproved. You know, some of you, you drank in the past and you've got over it, you're fine. I think if I did something like that, I would get in so much trouble with God, it wouldn't even be funny. You know why? Because I know better. I was taught over and over again. And there's no way, you know, I'm, I'm saved now too. And there's no way I'm going to just go to something like that without going through a whole bunch of reproofs first. And for me to get to that point, I would have to really, really harden my heart. And then, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm not going to claim to know exactly how God would do things, but chances are I'd probably lose my judgment and go get in a drunk driving accident first time. And, you know, probably kill somebody and I'd end up in prison. You know, and you know what? I would deserve it. And you know what? There's no remedy for that. You know, I go out and I do something like that. I can't fix that. And you know what? I, I don't, God's not going to fix it. You know what God's going to do? He's going to let me go to prison. He's going to let me suffer the consequences. And you know what he might even do? He might even laugh at me. He said, that's terrible. Well, Proverbs one twenty three says, turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. Because I have called and ye refused. I have stretched up my hand and no man regarded. But ye have said it not all my counsel and with none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation, your destruction cometh as a whirlwind. When distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early but they shall not find me. For they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel and they despised all my reproof. Therefore should they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. That doesn't sound like what Pastor Skinny Jeans is preaching in his church. That sounds like there's not always hope. That sounds like you can cross a line. And I don't believe that there is an exception Okay, just, I, just because somebody is saved, well, but there, there's always a remedy. No, we can get in trouble too and do things that can't be fixed. There's, and, you know, and when that happens, you know, we just got to deal with it. And it, it, again, it's different if it was something where you're innocent, God can show mercy, but he's not going to show mercy when you just harden your heart over and over again. He's going to deal with you and deal with you harshly. Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God and he will abundantly pardon. And so we can go on and on with Scriptures like that. But folks, those were just Old Testament examples of what Romans 1 teaches. And so King Agrippa... Well, the Bible doesn't tell us what happened to him after that. Really did one of the most foolish things any person could do. Said, said, said almost. All, almost you persuaded me. And I do not believe it was because Paul failed in his presentation or anything like that. He understood. I think Paul was right. I think Paul was full of the Holy Ghost when he's telling them, I, I know you understand these things, Agrippa. I know you're getting these things. And you better believe it. He did. He did get it. He knew Paul was telling the truth. But he did not accept it. He would not, he would not receive it. And as a result, lost his chance. And who knows if he ever got another one. I, I don't know. Again, I, I kind of doubt God's, how, how much better of a chance can you get than talking to the Apostle Paul himself? That's a really good opportunity, isn't it? And he didn't take that. I, I highly doubt he got another one. 
But anyway, with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray this message was a blessing. I pray, Lord, you'll help us uh, to learn uh, the lessons from it. Uh, thank you for all the great truths that are there, things that can help us understand uh, your word and uh, the Old Testament, New Testament, and just how they uh, harmonize with each other. And Lord, I pray you'll help us to uh, learn from this. Lord, just never harden our hearts on any area. Help us to always be tender, sensitive uh, to your words and help us to realize that even though we're saved, we can still have some devastating consequences in our lives if we are uh, in disobedience to. And so help us to get these things right and, uh, and get them right early. In your name we pray. Amen.